Welcome to Hope Blooms, a podcast from the Early Pregnancy Loss Association. At EPLA, we seek to support women and families suffering early pregnancy loss by providing resources, education, and community. It is our vision that no one suffers miscarriage alone. Welcome back to Hope Blooms. I'm Emily Carrington, the Executive Director of EPLA. And with me today, we have a special guest and fill-in co-host, Steph Gordon. Welcome, Steph. We're happy to have you today. Thank you so much for having me. Steph is feeling in while Maria is on maternity leave, but we're excited to take this opportunity to get to know Steph a little more. She's one of our board members and has been involved with the organization even before that. So I think it's appropriate for our first episode with Steph to um, give her a chance to tell her story. I know you have, she's been on our blog. She's been a blog editor for us. She's written a lot for us, but I'd like you to just maybe let's start with your story of loss, which, which led you here. So can you tell us a little bit about your miscarriage? Yeah. So my miscarriage, I should say our miscarriage happened in 2012. It was funny because I was talking to my husband this past weekend about being on this podcast and sharing um, our loss story. And it feels like so much time has gone by, but you also remember every single moment Mm -hmm. from that loss, Mm -hmm. even though it's been 11 years now. Yeah. So I feel like I probably have a very typical miscarriage story um, in that I um, was experiencing some bleeding, which caused concern. Um, And then, you know, we took the proper steps to address the issue, which was miscarriage. So was this your first pregnancy? Correct. Um, And how far along were you? So I was 10 weeks along. So having lost my first pregnancy was also very emotional, I guess you could say. Um, But let's go back to my story. So I was about 10 weeks along and um, I had noticed some spotting, which I thought, okay, this is is a normal thing. A lot of women experience spotting during the early pregnancy months. And as the days went on during the week, the bleeding was getting heavier. So we had went to triage at the University of Michigan, um, which was where uh, my doctor was. And I was carted back to this room, a very small room. And it was later in the evening. And I just remember going through routine, like getting my vitals, taking my temperature and I had an ultrasound done and oh, they had also done some blood work. But after they were looking at the blood work, um, I was also escorted to have a transvaginal ultrasound. And that was kind of where like we, my husband and I both knew that the baby didn't have a heartbeat. So the baby was measuring a little over eight weeks. So I guess it took my body a little over a week mm-hmm. to show um, those symptoms. And yeah, that was, it was just kind of a shock. 
I guess. I mean, we were going through the motions, but also it was very heartbreaking at the same time, obviously. And so we went home and I made an appointment with my OB that following Monday. I think this was a Friday night. And I went in on Monday and she had confirmed that we, you know, you know, the baby was not alive. So we went over options and she was a big blessing because she had also experienced loss. Mm-hmm. So that was very comforting to have mm-hmm. somebody who could understand what I was going through. And I opted to take misoprostol mm-hmm. at home um, because I wasn't, I mean, yeah, so 10 weeks, I could still do this at home. And so... I remember waiting about a week because I was working at the time before I took those pills. Mm. And it was just really hard to let go. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to, like, I don't know if it sounds odd, but just hang on to that baby for as long as I could, even though I knew the baby wasn't alive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah, so now it's Friday, and I don't know, maybe it was Saturday, and we opted to, I took the pills and, yeah, passed my baby at home, um, which looking back, I, I mean, there's no good way to, I don't know, have like complete a miscarriage. Right. I know a DNC was also an option for me, but I thought that doing it at home would be more personal for mm-hmm. Matt and I. And it was, but it was also very, like you just didn't know what to expect, I guess you could right. say, because you don't know how your body is going to react right. to right. the drug. So I probably had every symptom that was, you know, listed, mm-hmm. um, which is never, it was a long process. So I kept everything that was mm-hmm. passed. Were you prepared to do that? Did you know that you wanted to keep the body or is that a decision you made? Yeah, we knew um, we wanted to do that because I mean, it just is very morbid to think like, mm-hmm. Flushing a precious life. Right. You know? Right. So that was what we decided to do. And yeah, it just was, I don't know. Um, I think that week between knowing that the baby had died mm -hmm. and sort of preparing to finally take the medicine, Mm -hmm. what you you mentioned wanting to hold on to that baby. Mm Mm-hmm. Sort of what do you think you, because I think there's different, everyone's experience is kind of different. I had some time with both of mine, knowing that the baby had died and then actually passing the baby or having a surgery, but not everyone is sort of given that time, right? Mm -hmm. Some people, it's it's very quick. Having that, that week and sort of an ounce of control, right? Like it's, it's not control. And honestly, Mm -hmm. Your body could have delivered the baby at any time. Right. But having some tiny bit of control, Mm -hmm. what was sort of the 
grief process mm. and process and thoughts and feelings sort of in that week? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, lots of grief and sadness and not understanding why or what. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of fear because it was our first pregnancy. So thinking like, is there a bigger issue here? Mm-hmm. So I guess it was just mostly heartbreak, but also, and just like thinking of what could have been, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. and just really like loving this person. And it was a lot of reflection and sadness. So I just took that week to just hang on to that mm-hmm. life, even though they weren't alive. I think alive. that process is important. Mm-hmm. Did you tell people at work? I did. Yes. My boss was very understanding, which was great. Actually, a male boss. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so it was great to be surrounded by support, mm-hmm. which I don't know that every woman, woman gets to experience that. So that was a big blessing. Did you, you said you went to work. <laughs> I, I I did too. I mean, I, I did. I took some time off right after my right. diagnosis. Yeah. And then I, my timeline was a little different, but I like kept showing up and they were like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, but it's kind of like losing a loved one of any kind Sometimes it's best to kind of preoccupy yourself Mm -hmm. as well, like giving yourself space, but also trying to keep yourself moving forward. Yeah, moving forward. Yeah, I I, I found there were having some freedom. There were some things I needed to just get out among Mm -hmm. the living. Mm -hmm. And then there was some time I was really thankful. Did you take any time after? Um, I believe I took that Monday off because it was on the weekend. It was a really beautiful day. I do remember that. Mm. And after everything had passed, I remember Matt laying a blanket out outside and we were just sitting in the sun, like crying. (laughs) I mean, it was this really like beautiful and sad moment. Right. But I just remember that. And I remember my parents bringing us dinner over later that evening. Mm -hmm. Um, So just... It, there was a lot of love and support in the midst of so much mm-hmm. sadness. And so with those remains, we kept our baby in the freezer for yeah. um, a while. And then uh, Matt gifted me the following Mother's Day, a tree that we had planted to remember and honor our baby. And we buried the baby underneath this we call it our angel tree that's so sweet so yeah when we moved i made sure that the person who moved the tree (laughs) was like but they were very respectful and very honoring of that but yeah it's 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 very comforting to know that they're there with us in some way and we can celebrate them yes and there's so little guidance our still most visited blog post every month is how to bury your miscarried baby. Mm. And there's just so little guidance and sort of, we talk a lot about the the script, right? Like, and people, we, 
don't know what to do. There's many women who did flush their baby. And and there's all these posts out there like, I flushed. Oh, my gosh. Mm. And then later you realize, like, why? How? What Mm. did I do? But Mm. in the moment, you're just sort of shocked. And I think I was really unprepared for my home miscarriage. And I was really unprepared for the reality of this, like, body. Mm -hmm. You know, I had had... My first miscarriage, I was told like, yeah, it'll be sort of like an aggressive, heavy period. Mm. It really was not. And so there was just a lot that knowing like what to do mm-hmm. um, and then knowing the next next thing to do. And mm-hmm. you can, you know, I encourage people to look at that blog post. You can bury your children in cemeteries. Mm-hmm. There are ways forward. Um, our miscarriage care kits have the materials to collect the remains and mm-hmm. to preserve the body. And I think that we just have to, it's gruesome and it's it's hard to talk about. But at the same time, I don't think we give dignity to life or our bodies mm-hmm. if we aren't real about this. Right. And so we you can, and I really encourage, I've not been able to bury myself in cemeteries Mm. Um, and hospitals also like they don't give good answers right so because they can't really tell you they i don't think they can tell you to bury it in your backyard (laughs) i i don't know i don't know um so hospitals are really useless i think (laughs) not they're not useless in general they're really useless when it comes to the how do i bury my baby problem and that because that's not their problem and i think that was just like our personal choice Mm-hmm. Um, what we felt would was right, um, and that might be different for everybody, right? But I think what you said about the comfort and knowing mm-hmm. where they are mm-hmm. um, is really is really hard and really beautiful. Um, I, you know, I was told the first time when I had a DNC, um, and not every hospital is this way. But when I said what would happen to the body, I was told that it would just go out with the medical waste. Right. And I was 27 and young and it was my first pregnancy. So I just sort of shut up. I would be very different about that now. And I don't want to say this to discourage women. DNCs are sometimes very necessary. Right. And it was what my body needed at that time. But I really wish that the baby's body could have been given Mm -hmm. more respect. And Mm -hmm. some hospitals do. And I feel like that's where I was so thankful for my doctor because she... She recommended doing it at home because it would be in a more peaceful setting, even though it was not a peaceful process. Mm -hmm. But we also had the choice of doing what we wanted, essentially. There's there's less... I've done it both ways, and it's traumatic no matter what. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a better or worse way. I think Mm it's... Under the guidance of a doctor with your health in mind, like there's risks with anything Mm -hmm. where you are. Like I said, both emotionally, mentally and physically, I feel like we did the right thing at the right time. Mm -hmm. So one time it was absolutely for my mental and physical health. I needed to do the DNC. Yeah. The second time I needed to be home. Mm -hmm. It's just interesting because after I experienced doing this at home, I thought to myself, well, I would never do that again <laughs> yeah. because it was just, it's very unexpected, even though like people can prepare you, your doctor can prepare you, prepare you. Um, you can 
you know, research online, but everybody's bodies are different and your body, everybody's body will react in a different way. It's not streamlined, you know? Yeah. I think one of the hardest parts for me after I had completed my miscarriage was going back for blood work. Mm. Did you have to do that? Not after my first one. Probably because I did it at home. But I had to go back every week and I had my blood drawn to confirm that my HCG levels were going back. And I think that appointment every week was Mm. just awful. And it was like walking in. Yes, I'm getting blood work done. And it just was, you know, it was just a terrible reminder and just so sad. Right. So I think of like other women who have to do that, you know, that's just, it's very lonely. And that that's a big part of my miscarriage that I remember quite mm-hmm. well. You mentioned lonely. At the time, did you know many women who had also miscarried? No. So I guess in our friend group, I was, I had experienced pregnancy first. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have anybody to turn to Mm -hmm. who had experienced miscarriage. I mean, I had obviously heard of miscarriage and I I knew that miscarriage, you know, is a possibility with every pregnancy, but I didn't think, oh, this is going to happen to me. Right. And then it does. So yeah, I would say it was a very lonely experience because not a lot of my friends none of them had experienced miscarriage. And then, you know, months go by and I'm still doing research. And then I find the early pregnancy (laughs) loss association. And I remember telling Matt, I'm like, I would just like to make it a mission of mine to somehow help or support women who might be feeling lonely or, Mm -hmm. I don't know, just a listening ear or a voice to somebody who might not understand. In 2012, I mean, people weren't really talking about miscarriage even then. No, no. I mean, I our loss was in 2014. And it was shortly after that that we started EPLA, which we technically like were founded in 2016, but those conversations started in 15. Mm-hmm. And... No, I cannot believe how much things have changed in 10 years. And I don't think it's just because we're in the center of it and we talk about it. Mm -hmm. I remember feeling like I, we told close friends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember feeling like I really, I I didn't know how to sort of announce it on Facebook or did Mm -hmm. I need to or I Mm -hmm. shouldn't. But also like all my friends were starting to announce pregnancies you know, so I was 27. I'd been married for four years, so we weren't newlyweds, almost mm-hmm. five. But we had gotten married on the young side. So anyway, we were just like entering in this time where every Facebook post was a pregnancy oh, yeah. announcement. And that's like, and I know this is also different for everybody, but that's also a sting. Mm-hmm. Especially if you had just experienced loss. Yeah. Like for me, I don't know. I guess, like I said, it was my first pregnancy so I just thought oh you know can I even have children which I've went on to have three beautiful healthy children yeah 
So, yeah, I think, and I think I've seen, I, when I look back at the last 10 years, I think there's been generational shifts, right? I mean, we sort of came of age with Facebook. We invented Facebook, right? You know, like, mm, yes. you know, like yes. our generation, right? Yes. And, and I, and I see this sort of shift of like, we all started having babies. I was thinking about like, what's my silly, cute Facebook announcement for my baby going to be like, that mm-hmm. was something that was really important to me mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. didn't get to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, and now maybe that's dated. I don't know what the kids these days are doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friends are, um, you know, almost done having right, babies. Right. But, or don't have time to bake, you know. <laughs> Cute, silly announcements. So, you know, yeah, I think that there's been a shift in how we talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I just can't believe, though, now that we talk about it, how many women come out of the woodwork Mm -hmm. from other generations and who are willing and able to listen. Right. It is not like we're just in this echo chamber Mm -hmm. of millennials. Mm -hmm. I also, after my miscarriage, I received this very sweet letter from my aunt who had had a few miscarriages. And I never knew about it. Yeah. And she, I, I believe I still have that letter in my drawer, but it was very comforting to me. And my, my grandma, she also lost a baby. This was back in, you know, the 60s, which was a very, very different time for miscarriage. So just hearing their stories and having some family support who understood was comforting. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like my miscarriage was, I hate to say this, but very like textbook, like, mm-hmm. oh, around the 10 week mark. I don't know. It just, it's, there's just no pretty way to describe it. Well, and I think it's, it might be textbook and it might be common, mm-hmm. but it is, was your baby and your body mm-hmm. and your experience mm-hmm. that doesn't make it any more, you know, okay. Right. That we can find comfort in other people mm-hmm. who've walked that trauma before. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we don't just move past other deaths just because people die every day. Right. So I think it's it's important for us to say, like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And it is common. And it is, like, hopefully textbook and not particularly traumatic. <laughs> right. right. But it's yours. Mm-hmm. And it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And it, it changes the rest of your life. Yeah. And in, in those moments of like learning, like, okay, I just, I remember the doctor who was on call, you know, she was like, oh, well, this pregnancy isn't viable, you know, and just, it just is all very like cold, you know, there's nothing mm-hmm. really like, <laughs> right. It's very straightforward. At least right. my experience was in learning that. Right. Um, right. We had lost our baby. So I just think the healing afterwards is such a, it's a big, there are very important moments Mm -hmm. and for a mother, um, it's like, okay, accepting the loss, grieving the loss, and then moving forward. But you, you know, you, every year we, you know, remember our baby and um, we have a pair of angel wings that we hang on our Christmas tree each year mm-hmm. and they sit toward the uh, top of the tree um, and we have our angel tree and I just very much look forward to 
meeting this baby someday. Yes. And it's very comforting to know yes. that will happen. And and I think for me and other mothers who have lost kind of in the earlier stages of pregnancy, just not knowing, oh, was it a boy or a girl? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I just always wonder. Yeah, it's hard or to... like what it was. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to know that child when mm-hmm. there isn't much information. And that's one of the things to grieve, right? Mm-hmm. Like actually knowing. Mm-hmm. So. Well, Steph, thank you so much for joining us today. It yeah, was Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure to hear your story. And a big thank you to our listeners. This has been another episode of Hope Blooms. Thank you for listening to Hope Blooms, a podcast from the Early Pregnancy Loss Association. To learn more about how we and you can support women suffering early pregnancy loss, visit our website at miscarriagecare.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for listening.